check here. Is that I might need to move it back up? If if you've been in the habit of using bad language, it, I can personally testify it is hard to break that. I was in the service, and in the service, many times you know there's no restriction on the use of that kind of language, and it just you know, you're in it every day and that's how people talk and you start talking that way. And it's before I was a believer, which still doesn't give us an excuse, right? Other brought me up better than that, but it's very hard and you get to where it takes a great deal of effort to overcome that habit. And there's many habits that we have, you know, where where we develop that pattern and then we try to break that. And and it's very hard to do. And, and we're going to see today in numbers how the... The Hebrews, as God has rescued them from Egypt and they've gone through these different trials, can you think of some habits that they have that have caused them even more problems? What, what, how do they react when there's a trial or when something happens? They grumble, right? And, and what's a common complaint? Like when, when God freed them and Moses led them through the desert and they got to the Red Sea and the Egyptian armies coming, what did they tell Moses? Right. Did you bring us here to kill us? Why didn't you just let us die back there? Why didn't you let us continue on in Egypt where things were so great? And in reality, were things great in Egypt? No, but they were comfortable, right? And and as people, many times, if we're comfortable, even though it's horrible, and someone from the outside looking in, we get comfortable with it. It's just like the bad language, right? I, I got desensitized to that in the Air Force. And people would say things, and I didn't bat an eye because that's just how they talked. Well, that's not right, right? And and we are called to be different. We as believers are called to be different. And the Israelites are God's chosen people. God chose them. He chose them to be his people. And he made them promises. They have a hard time remembering these promises. And that's one thing we're going to look at today. Because as they've been traveling through the desert, where are they eventually headed? Canaan, the promised land, right? God has been telling them from Abraham. He says, I'm going to give you this land, and I promise you that you'll be there and you'll have all these descendants. That's what I'm promising you. Now, that was a long, long time ago when Abraham made this promise to where we're going to be today, where they're they're in Paran, the, the desert, and they can see it, right? So we're going to talk about today when the spies go. That's what the, the, the Bible verses we're going to look at. And how the people react and what they do. And, and it's not good. And it's the, today's lesson is really about rebellion, right? And most of us wouldn't consider ourselves to be rebels, right? If someone asked you if you, if you were a rebel, would you, would you admit to that? Most of us would. There are maybe one or two. Most of us would say no. Yet when, when we disobey God, what are we doing? We are rebelling against his authority. And that's exactly what we do. And we're going to see the Israelites rebel against God again. So we're going to be in Numbers 13. Um, I'm going to start by reading verses 1 through 3 in Numbers 13. So they've traveled through the desert, and they've gone through all the trials of that. And so God has brought Moses and the people to where they can see the promised land. And God hasn't asked them to go in yet, but he's got them right there on the doorstep. They're right there getting ready to go. So Numbers 13, starting in verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, send out, for your, send out for yourself men so that they may spy out the land of Canaan, 
which I am going to give to the sons of Israel. You shall send a man from each of their father's tribes, every one a leader among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran at the command of the Lord, all of, all of them men who were heads of the sons of Israel. Okay. So God has them there, and God's now giving Moses this further instruction, saying, okay, we're here, but before everybody goes in, I want to send spies. I want to send people to go check it out. So we're going to send one man from each tribe. And so they're, they're going to go and do that, right? And then um, when they go, Moses gives them some instruction. So I'm going to read from verses 17 to 20. When Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan, he said to them, Go up there into the Negev, then go up into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many. How is the land in which they are in, in which they live? Is it good or bad? And how are the cities in which they live? Are they like open camps or with fortifications? How is the land? Is it fat or lean? Are there trees in it or not? Make an effort then to get some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the time of the first rain. So, so Moses is you know they they pick these twelve men and Moses is telling them what they're supposed to look for, right? So what does it sound like? What do you think Moses is trying to get them to identify for them? What's, what's behind the questions he's asking them what they're supposed to do? To see how good it is and to see the people that are there, right? And, and God's promised them that this is what he wants them to do, right? And, and God has told them this for a long time. So if you'll turn back to Genesis chapter 12, we're just going to review what God has told you know Abraham and, and the the Israelites, what his plan is. So this this is after, you know, Abram's father, Terah, God had called Terah to go travel to this new land. And so they're in um, Haran. But this is what God is promising Abram. I'm going to read in um, Genesis 12, the first couple of verses here. Now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took Sarai his wife and, his, and Lot his nephew and their, all their possessions which they had accumulated and the persons which they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, Thus they came to the land of Canaan. Abraham passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem to the oak of Morah. Now the Canaanite was then in the land. Right. So here God's promised them he's going to take care of them. And that Canaan, this is where their, the spies are going to go as Canaan, is that they're going to be in that land. And then if we look at um, verse 18, it says that then Pharaoh called Abram. He's going to look at verse 7, sorry. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said to your descendants, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. So God's promising, you know, Abraham there that he's going to give them this land. And if we flip over to chapter 15, this is the Abrahamic covenant. So this is another promise that God's making Abraham and he's guaranteeing it again, right? And he tells him in the, in, in the first couple of verses here, he says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your, your reward shall be very great. And then Abram 
starts reminding God, well, I don't have a son yet, and you know, how am I going to have an heir? And God lays the plan out for him. And this is where God makes that covenant to Abram. And he tells him, you know, starting in verse 18, he says, On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt as far as the great river, the Euphrates. So God's promising the Israelites this land. He says, I'm going to do this for you, right? So I think when Moses is telling them what they're supposed to do, he's telling them to look at the land. What are the cities like? Is this going to be a nice place to live? But he also wants them to look and see what are the people like, right? And so God's promised them that he's going to give them this land of milk and honey, right? So Moses is expecting good things there as far as the land. Now, the people may or may not be something that, you know, the, the Canaanites, they don't know what they're like, but Moses wants to know so they can be prepared when they have to go. So we're back in Numbers now. And I'm going to read verses 25 to 33. So Numbers 13, 25 to 33. When they returned from spying out the land at the end of 40 days, they proceeded to come to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the sons of Israel in the wilderness of Paran, at Kadesh, and they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Thus they told him and said, We went into the land where you sent us, and it certainly does flow with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Amalek is living in the land of the Negev, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites are living in the hill country, and the Canaanites are living by the sea. And by Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, We should try by all means, go up and take possession of it. For we will. But, the men who, but the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are too strong for us. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land which they, said, which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone in... Buying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great size. There are also, we saw, the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, are part of the Nephilim. And we became like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. So the spies have gone up, right? And, they, and they've checked all these things out. And, and Moses did what God called him to do, right? God tells Moses, send spies, pick these spies, send them up, and they'll come back and give you a report. So Moses is being obedient, right? He's trying to model the right thing to do, and he sends the men out, and they come back. But, but what kind of report do the spies give? Not good. In, in, in what respect? Because they were supposed to find out about the land, and they were supposed to find out about the people. So what did they say about the land? Exactly, right? So... Think, yeah, exactly. Think, think through this, right? So God has promised them the promised land is going to be a land of milk and honey, right? So it shouldn't have been a surprise when they go and look that it's a great place, you know, that the crops are really good, the grapes that are growing are huge, there's lots of pasture for animals, there's fertile fields, there's big cities, there's all this great stuff, right? And God's told them that. But what Cheryl said about, you know, they're not, they're not believing in God. They're trying to trust in their own way to do things. When they see the people, they're afraid of the people, right? But, but God has promised them, right? We went back and we saw God's told them he's going to give them this land. 
Right, and that's a good point because the Levites weren't in God's plan don't get land because they're the ones that are taking care of the temple, right? But as they're going through this, you know, the, the reports, but there are, you know, which two spies actually bring this point up and say that they should be Caleb and Joshua, right? And it says, you know, in verse 30, it says, Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, we should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we will surely overcome it, right? And so what's Caleb doing? What's he thinking of? God's promises. And that if God wants them to have the land, Caleb might not understand how God will help them be victorious in taking the land, but he knows God says we get to have it, and so we should do it, right? It's, it's good, right? They got confirmation of God's promise that it's a land of milk and honey. They should follow through with the promise that God will make sure that they get it. But 10 of the 12 spies are afraid, right? And they're talking about, you know, the people of great size and um, Anak and the Amalekites. If you go back in Genesis, these were supposedly a giant race, right? Really big people. Um, that are supposed to be good warriors, and so they're afraid to go. And and they make a big enough show of it that the rest of the people are very afraid, right? Because Caleb has to quiet them down. And so when they start telling these stories, right? And think about that. If you've ever been in a position of, of leading a group or trying to get people to do something, what does how you say and how you say it influence that group of people? A lot, right? So these spies went up. They were witnesses to go up and see. You know, I think God's intent was for them to go up and see just how good the land was, to come back and say, you know, God is so awesome and he's going to give us this great place. And it's going to be hard because there are people there that we have to go fight and however God's going to take care of that. But he promises we can and we can do that. But they're not having faith, right? They're, they're, they're not believing in what God's promises are. They're forgetting what God has promised them. And they're forgetting what God has done, right? What things on their travels since they left slavery in Egypt, think of all the things that God has done for them that are seemingly impossible, and yet God did, right? And it wasn't that far in their history, but now they have to come do this other thing again. And is it, does, I mean, does that happen to us? It does, right? And sometimes it seems like we finish one, one battle and one challenge, and we just want, you know, everybody wants to live on easy street. Everybody wants to have things go really well. But that's not always God's plan for us, right? And it wasn't God's plan for his people. I mean, they are traveling in the desert, right? We've talked about this. There's over a million people in all their livestock. So think about just what's required to move them through the desert. And everywhere they go, there's probably just enough, right? And God's giving them manna, and he's providing them water. But it's certainly no, you know banquet for a king or something, right? They're getting by, they're doing those things. So they're probably a little bit tired, they're a little bit worn out, but they're not trusting that God is saying, you know, when you get to this place, I'm going to give this to you, right? And so they're 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 forgetting God's promises and they're being disobedient and they're not willing to do that. So these men that that God had Moses picked, you know, what what specifically did God say? You know, send a man from each of their father's tribes, every one a leader among them. So they, Moses picked people who were leaders of the tribes that when they said, we're going to do this, the people would follow them, right? He picked leaders. He picked people that the tribes would trust. And yet when they come back, what did they do? 
they betrayed that trust of God. And so instead of being confident themselves in God's promise to them that they would be victorious when they go up to fight the Canaanites to take the land, their fears get transferred to the people, right? Now, pretty soon, everybody is afraid and nobody wants to do what or what God has in their plan, right? And so we just have to think about that. I think that's one of the lessons from this is that when God gives us a, a leadership position or we're trying to do something, we need to have that confidence. You know, if we have that confidence and that faith and we step out in that faith, people around us who are going to follow us or see us, when they see us do that, it gives them confidence. That's how they grow their faith. And so we have to be confident in that when, when we trust in God, to fully trust in God, that even though it might be hard and it may be a lot of work and it could be difficult, that if God's promises, it's going to happen. We need to go ahead and work through that and, and do the very best that we can. So we're going to uh, pick up in, in Numbers 14. I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. We're going to see just what this effect of these leaders not being faithful. Then all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. All the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to, to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us appoint a leader and return. So they've fallen back in that bad habit, right? They, they've, they've gone through trials. They've had these tough times. They're right there at the promised land, right? And so God's not saying, you're going to be in the promised land. He didn't, he didn't promise it for a year, right? God said, this is your land. This is where you will be, right? So if they understood God's promises, promise and they trusted that, if they go into this land, this is where they're going to get to stay. This is where he wants them to be. But they're not quite willing to do that, you know. And, it, and it's not just some of the people. It says, all the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, right? Because another bad habit they have, instead of wondering why things are happening and things aren't going well and praying to God and seeking reassurance from God, they're attacking their leaders. They're saying, Moses and Aaron, man, you guys screwed up again, right? You, you know, you didn't kill us the last time. The last three times you tried to kill us didn't work. Well, now you're surely going to kill us. Right, but but God's promise to them wasn't to bring them to Canaan to have them be killed. Right, God's promise is for them to come there and live and to be His people and to worship in in that place. So they're just not thinking through this, right? And we've all been there, right? We've all been to a point where we know what we should do, but we know it's going to be hard, and we just can't bring ourselves to do that. And that's that sinly flesh nature that we have that we all want to walk the easy path right we all want to have things go well we don't want to have to worry about things we don't want to have to go through the trials we don't want to have to be the one whose car gets wrecked and now you have to deal with that we don't want to have the one whose child is sick and has to go do all these things right but all those things are here aren't they when, when Adam and Eve disobeyed God in the Garden of Eden and sin and death came into the world, that's where we live. There are beautiful things here. God made a beautiful creation. Even this Genesis 3 world, as, as a fallen place, has beauty in it, right? And it has great things that God's given us. And, and why do you think it's that way? Could, could God have made the entire earth 
be like the desert and just had us live in that? He could have, right? But God loves us enough and he cares enough for us, even though we're in this sinful world and we're sinful people and we do things we're not supposed to do, he still wants to encourage us. He still loves us. He still gives us those good things, right? You know, he gives us loving family. He gives us jobs that we enjoy. He gives us success in the things that we try. He answers prayers for us, right? Not always in the way we want. Sometimes much better, right? I mean, God can do whatever God wants to do. But the people are forgetting those things, and they're attacking leadership, and they're saying again, why didn't we just stay in Egypt? Why didn't we stay where at least, hey, right? Because that's, when you think about what what you're afraid of the most, what are you really afraid of? Discomfort. Nobody likes pain. You know, and then when I say nobody wants to work hard, some of it, you know, some people like to work hard. It's it's good. I, you know, I like the weekend. I have a desk job, and so I like to be able to get out and do stuff on my farm because physical work to me is satisfying, right? People who have to physically work hard all the time probably just want a day to sit behind a desk, right? So we all have our own things, but it's fear of the unknown, right? If you know you have to go through these things, if, if you know what's going to happen, but you know through the end of that it will be a good outcome, you are much more likely, I think. So the people here are afraid because they've gone through these trials and they're trying to trust God. They're just not really willing to trust God. But it, it does have consequences, right? So let's let's move on. I'm going to read um, verses 5 through 10 in Numbers 14. Because they're, they're attacking their leadership and things. They're not doing what they're supposed to do. The people are forgetting God's promises. But let's see how the leadership reacts. So pick it up in Numbers 14, verse 5. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces in the presence of all the assembly of the congregation of the sons of Israel. Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, of those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. And they spoke to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, saying, the land which we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, then he will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they will be our prey. Their protection has been removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. But all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Then the glory of the Lord appeared in the tent of meeting to all the sons of Israel. So Moses and Aaron respond in a good way, right? Because sometimes when we're in charge of people and we're saying, okay, we have to do this, and it's going to be hard, but we have to do it. And everybody there in charge of says, we're not doing it. That's the wrong way to do it. And we're not. Instead of getting mad and saying, well, you're going to do it, and you're going to do it this way, and I'm going to you know, knock your heads if you're not. It. So, right, Moses and Aaron were godly in this respect, and this is a good example of leadership. They didn't get mad at the people. They turned to God, right? It says, you know, they fell on their face in the presence of all the assembly of the congregation. They turned to God because Moses and Aaron know what they're supposed to do. They know what the people are supposed to do. They are trusting in God. And they're hoping, I think, by this example of turning to God, that people will stop and go, yeah, God promised us, and God's done all these things, and we should do that, right? And what do um, Caleb and Joshua do? He did, right? They tore their clothes, which in that time, in that culture, that was a symbol of mourning and great distress, and, and, and I'm very upset and were clothes as a symbol of things are really wrong, and they want to humble themselves before the Lord. 
But he did, right? He told them, don't forget, right? The land is exceedingly good. And God has told us he'll give it to us. So don't be afraid of the people. You know, they're losing God's protection. We have God's protection. Let's go do this, right? He's trying to rally the troops, get them to say, you're right. right? But what, what do the people do? They want to stone them, right? So it's hard, and they're in a hard spot. Because even though they want to do the right thing, all the people say, no, we don't want to do that, right? And it's difficult, and, and it's hard. Um, but I think if you look back in your own life, God has probably presented you with situations where it's been very, very difficult to do the right thing. And we don't always make the right choice, right? Sometimes we're like these people, and we don't make the right choice. We, we choose the wrong way. We just don't think we can bear it anymore, and we just don't do it. Hopefully we don't go as far as they go and want to stone the leadership. But that's the level of frustration that's here, right? But that's what happens if you, if you, if you don't follow God's will for you, if you don't have that faith and trust, and you're doing things in your own way, and you're trying to rely on yourself, you just start going down that path, and you just make worse decisions, and you and and there are consequences, right? There are definitely consequences, and we'll we'll see that in future lessons what the consequences. But you know, just you know, looking through this, it's it's interesting to see how this rebellion. Is. You, yes, it's kind of like Dad comes home, right? We're we're out swinging on the gate or doing whatever we've been told not to do, you know, doing donuts in the driveway on the four wheeler, and Dad said no, and now Dad's there, and it's like oh. So, and that's what kind of stops this, right? And so what, you know, and just in, in what we've talked about, what does that mean when it says, you know, the glory of the Lord appeared in the tent of meeting to all the sons of Israel? So we, we talked about the tabernacle and the tent of meeting, right? And God's presence was there, right? What symbolized God's presence? Cloud in the daytime, fire at night, right? And that's when they knew, as they were traveling through the desert, remember, they would pitch the tent of meeting and they would worship there and do the sacrifices and those things. And as long as the presence of God was there, you know, the pillar, you know, the, the cloud by day, the fire by night was God's presence in the world among men right then. As long as it was there, they didn't go. When they got up and that presence left, they knew they were going to break the tabernacle down and God would tell Moses and Aaron where they're supposed to go and they would continue to travel on their way to the promised land, where they are now. So what Craig said is absolutely true. The people are now realizing, right, the presence of God Almighty is now at the tent of meeting. This is serious, and God's here, right? And so in, in the next lessons, we're going to learn about this. But what, this isn't the first time we've read these things. What happens to the people? What are the consequences of them being afraid and not following God? Very much so, right? Because they end up wandering in the desert for 40 years. And wandering is a way to put it, but really they're following the path God chose for them. He got them to where they should be, and they wouldn't go anymore, even though some of the people are saying, Joshua and Caleb are saying, we should go, we should go, we should go. And, and they won't, right? And this happens in people's lives. And sometimes it happens in our life where God's trying through, you know, what he does to get us to do something. And we refuse, and we get to a point where God's going to take us another way. And eventually you might get there, right? Eventually, 
the Israelites make it to the promised land, don't they? But only Joshua and Caleb of the people who were there now are the people who actually enter in, right? Even Abraham, as as faithful and God-honoring <clears throat> as he was, we'll learn about as we go, does some other things where God's not going to allow Abraham to go. Right? So they're going to end up on this long 40-year path because that is the consequence. This is what God has told them is, you know, I tried to get you to do what you should do and you didn't. And so now you will walk an even harder path, right? But we'll talk about some of that. God still loves them, right? So God's giving them the promised land, right? So does this mean they never get the promised land? No, they'll get there just in a different timing, right? And that happens in our lives, and, and it's happened to me. And I know there have been things that I have really wanted uh, and prayed about and worked hard for, and God didn't give them to me until much later in my life, right? And, and I am, because I can look back in my life, and I, and I hope that's, you know, those of you, and I'm sure those of you who have been believers for a long time, your testimony gets built that way, of your faith in the Lord, right? and you're believing in what he does, is when you go through a trial and, and things happen in your life, because you're in it at the time, you don't always realize it, but you can later look back in your life and you can see how God perfectly orchestrated all those things. He put you in certain situations. He put certain people in your life. I, I know in my life, God has put people in my life that God knew I would listen to, believers and non-believers, that I would follow their advice so I would end up where God wanted me to go. And, and it's amazing how you know that happens. And, and if you think back on your life, like I said, unless you're a brand new believer, if you've been a believer for a while, if you'll take some time and you look back, you will see God's influence and how God has worked those things out so that you got where you were supposed to be. And it's not always what you dreamed of and always what you wanted. I, there there are things I really, really wanted as a young man that when I got to the point I could do that, I didn't because I knew it wasn't the right thing to do. You know, I, I fully had the ability and God had put me there. But in thinking about it, you go, you know, I could do this, but it's not the best thing for, you know, it's not really what God wants me to do. It's not really the best thing for me. It's not the best thing for my family. It's I should behave in this way now. And part of that's because all along that path, God grew me and he shaped me, right? And and it's not that God's changing, you know, God's changing me. I'm changing my life to better comply with his will, to do what I'm supposed to do, right? I mean, we pray all the time to God and many times we pray for what we want. And really, hopefully what ends up happening is we pray ourselves into God's will for us because God's not going to change. God's doing what he wants to do, and God has that perfect plan for everybody, but we have to go along with that. And it's it's very hard sometimes. You know, but if we if we think of all the things God does for us, I think, you know, and, I, and I, other than what Moses and Aaron and Joshua and Caleb did, I don't know what else you could have done, right? I mean, they've made up their mind, and they're helped them understand that was a bad choice. And they'll have to live through that, and many of them do because they go for, but it's, it's just always hard sometimes to think through um, what's happening with that. But what I wanted to do as we close here today, is I'm going to read out of Romans 8. It's uh, the, the last part of it, 31 to 39. And I think it's just it's a part of Scripture that um, I think really helps us as believers remember what it's all about. 
and and I think that you know when when I read through this lesson, I'm looking at it and and it's about rebellion and not believing in God's promises. Um, and in later lessons, we're going to get into the consequence. As an encouragement to us, I wanted to read this. So this is Romans chapter eight, starting in verse thirty-one. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies, who is the one who condemns. Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, For your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So as we, as we go through life and we think about the trials that we have to go through, I think this is, this is an awesome, encouraging gift from God that Paul wrote to the Romans in this letter that there's nothing that will separate you from God. You know, if we have faith in Him, right, it tells us, you know, if, if we're with Him, who, who, could, who can come against us, right? God's plan's going to win. What God wants to have happen is going to happen. And, and all these terrible things that can come about, right, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword, all those horrible things that we fear, if you think about it, you're fearing that for your physical body, right? At the end of the day, what happens to your physical body? Ashes to ashes, dust to dust, right? Your physical body as a believer returns to the earth, but your spirit goes to be with God the Father, you know, and God the Son is sitting at his right hand. So even as we go through all these trials, your physical body that's in peril here all the time, right, from everything you can think of, right? Sometimes getting out of bed in the morning is deadly, right? I mean, there's just all these things that can happen to our physical body. But as a believer, your spiritual body, your spiritual life, and you're righteous in God's eyes. And that should give you the encouragement that no, no matter how terrible the physical danger that you face, whatever the physical things are on this earth, and that might just be hunger, right? It might be not having enough to eat or something like that. That, in the end, takes care of itself, right? It's The important thing is the spiritual part, that you are spiritually alive. Nothing created can separate you from God. And so I hope that you have that understanding as, as you go through your week and you think about things, and, and when God has you go through trials, it's, it's to help you grow in faith and to be an example to those around you. But God's promises, He keeps. So hopefully those... There are, there are lots of things that we do that, that in our mind, and that's, I think, it's a good point Cheryl brought up. It's, you know, the, the only thing we have to fear is fear ourselves. We, a lot of times, build things up in our mind and make it so terrifying, right? Whereas if we just go, all right, I'm going to do this, and we go and do it, 
we get it done, right? And when we're done with it, we go, well, that's not so bad. I think I might do that. I mean, I, I had to go through water survival training, and they made us jump off a 10-meter tower, right? And, and so 10 meters is 30 feet, a little over 30 feet. And it was in the Olympic diving pool, which is 17 feet to the bottom. And when the divers dive, they have a water jet that sprays and it breaks the surface tension of the water, right? Has anybody belly flopped? Hurts, right? I mean, water's squishy, but it's firm. So if you hit it, right? So think about that. When you jump from 10 meters, when you go and, and they tell you, right? So this is... They, tell, they told us, when you go up, don't look over the edge. Just go walk off and you'll be fine. Well, what did I do? I looked over the edge. They would not turn the water jet on for us. So when you go look, it's almost 50 feet because it's clear, nice swimming pool water, right? So you're looking now 50 feet to the bottom. It was really, really, really hard to convince myself to go off. But I did it. And I'll tell you, the wind will whistle in your ears before you hit. But once I did it, then it wasn't a big deal, and I could do it again. And through the course of the class, we had to do it a bunch of times. The final was you had to jump off and swim underwater and do all this other stuff. But once you do it, right? But I, I did what I wasn't supposed to do. I went and I looked, right? And a bunch of my classmates did the same thing, and but they all started going. And then once people start doing it, right? You need one brave person, right? You need a Joshua or a Caleb. And they go, let's do this. And then everybody, but it is hard. And, and there were people in my class that wouldn't jump off and they failed the class, right? And eventually you have to pass that to graduate. So eventually they did, but, right? So if, if you if you buy into that fear, you know, part of that you're not trusting God that he's going to make it okay. You know, you sometimes you fail to do what you should do because you just get so... So having faith in God and, and, and trusting in him, right? And the more you do that, what does that do for your faith? Builds your faith so that when you come to that very scary, scary thing, you already know God's going to do this for me and I can do this.